welcome to a Really Good Enough Parent podcast. My name is Christine Altwies. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and for 30 years I worked in intercountry and domestic adoption and family counseling. I'm the clinical director at Pona Roots Counseling Center, where our focus is on family systems, and I'm also a mother. I've created a Really Good Enough Parent podcast in response to what we see every day in our clinic. Childhood mental health issues are skyrocketing, and it doesn't have to be this way. I know that really good enough parenting is a skill we all possess. As a parent myself, I also understand how easy it is to lose sight and to mistrust or panic in the face of a melting down child or an impudent teen. The good news is that you have what it takes to help your child. Take a breath, see your child's innocence. You can do this. This podcast will feature some of the incredible people I've been lucky enough to meet in my life. No two have raised their children the same, and all have done a really good enough job. You'll hear new perspectives on how to handle tough situations. You'll be reminded of how your own parenting takes its cue from childhood. And hopefully, you'll feel invigorated to go do a really good enough job at this most rewarding of all human endeavors. A Really Good Enough Parent podcast is designed to be story time for adults. So thanks for being here with me today. I do appreciate you. Enjoy the show. Coming up on A Really Good Enough Parent podcast... This next episode is the most personal episode that I have recorded. It is an interview with my baby brother, Hans Altwies. I was raised with two brothers, Hans and Justin, both of whom I deeply admire and both of whom I believe are incredibly dedicated, loving, conscientious parents to their children. My brother Hans has been recently writing, blogging, and sharing his thoughts on what it is to be a parent who loses a child. Hans uh, lost his daughter Stella, his youngest daughter, uh, two years ago after a one-year battle with cancer. She was 14 at the time. So in this episode, you'll hear uh, Hans um, share some of his thoughts. And because there's so much to talk about, we decided at the end of this episode to do a part two So if you enjoy this episode, or if you gain anything from this episode, uh, I encourage you to listen for the next one with Hans Altwies. So thank you very much for listening to a Really Good Enough Parent podcast. Stand by for Hans Altwies. Welcome back to a Really Good Enough Parent podcast. I had previously said to myself, and maybe to you all, that I would not continue the trend of using all my biggest, fanciest words to introduce every guest. But now does not feel like a time to stop that trend because this next guest deserves every fancy, illustrative, impressive, (laughs) gorgeous word that one could ever connect with another human being. My baby brother, Hans Peter Altwies, is our guest today. And true to form, we have zero idea of what we're going to talk about. We have not rehearsed or practiced or posed questions to one another. This is a completely winging it sibling deal, but I am absolutely confident that this is going to be an excellent and worthwhile episode. So without further ado, I give you my audience, my baby brother, Hans Peter Altwies on a really good enough parent podcast. Welcome baby brother, Hans. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for being here. Um, Hans lives in Seattle and um, has made time working from home today so we can do this. So what are we going to talk about? It's a good question. Well, I guess we're talking about parenting. I mean, what's been on my mind a lot lately is uh, obviously um, always Stella, my daughter. Um, uh, So many of her peers are graduating right now, um, the last and her sister before even her peers. Um, Charlotte graduated UW in uh, early June, 
And then the last week has been graduation of some of Stella's best buddies, all a year older than her. Um, so I've been spending a lot of time with them and their families and kind of dipping back into um, some of my community that I haven't seen in a while. And um, so I'm watching a lot of parenting right now. I'm watching big moments happen to my best friends and their children and uh, thinking about one that would be happening for my youngest and uh, watching what's happening to my eldest, who's now a full-fledged graduate of UW and living with her boyfriend and trying to figure out how to get an internship and a job in the next steps of her adulting. life. Adulting. Woo, scary. Um, adulting, yeah. I mean, she's such an adult. She's kind of always been an adult. Yeah. I mean, parenting Charlotte was was a really um, pretty hands-off experience. She was so, except when she was young. When she was young, she was she was quite the screamer. She had big, big outbursts. But then as she kind of got into like fifth and sixth grade, she started just reading constantly. And she was so put together. She always knew how to do her homework. She was really well-behaved. She was just easy. She was fun to be around. She played like crazy. Um, yeah. And then she became a high school student that just always did all of her, all her things, had her shit together. She was just, she was, she's always been an adult. She's an old soul. In a way. Nope, not yeah, an old soul. Okay, that got a big question. Because... I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe she is. I never know the answer to that. I mean, I always felt like Stella was, a, was an old soul. But maybe I just do that really uneducated thing where if somebody's really young seeming that they're an old soul and if they're put together, they're not an old soul. Mm. So if that math is correct, Charlotte is not an old soul and Stella was an old soul because Charlotte always had her shit together and Stella was a wild party waiting to happen. Yeah. Stella was a wild yeah. party waiting to happen. That's That's a nice way of putting her. Yeah. Let's back up for a second. And start at the beginning. Okay. Let's talk about um, because I think of you as one of the most perfect parents. Well, in this forum, we're calling you a really good enough parent. Um, you're one of the most really, really good enough parents I've ever met. And when I when I think about watching you parent, watching my baby brother parent his two amazing daughters, the one thing that was so uh, impactful watching that for me was how you took attachment parenting to the next level and how attached you were to your children and how attached they were to you and um, what exhausting work that was often um, that parenting mm -hmm. really is a, a full contact sport and you know you can't do it part-time or when mm -hmm. it's convenient it's a commitment um, that is 24 seven for as long as your children are under your roof or alive or needing you. Um, but I remember mm -hmm. really learning about attachment parenting through watching you. Um, and so I guess I'm, I'm curious about that, about what decision you made at what point and what that was really like in the day to day. Um, you know, obviously you and, uh, Amy had the benefit of being, actors and other things that gave you scheduling freedom. So not everyone mm -hmm, pursued mm -hmm. this the way you did. Um, it takes a certain amount of mm -hmm. privilege and cushion and flexibility. And yes, um, but I'm curious about just attachment parenting, I guess, as a concept and how you approach that and, and whether you knew what attachment parenting was, or this was just your way of being fully connected to your children. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, I guess going back to one of the earlier things you said, I can't, I can't say anything about how I parented without mentioning that I didn't do it alone. Um, and I think if I had done it alone, maybe many of the things would have been similar, but I didn't, I did it with Amy and Amy and I were a team and played off each other in ways that we don't know. And I mean, so much of it has to do with that. It must. Um, 
And many of the ideas that we implemented were really brought by Amy. And um, I was, I was a, a, a heavy actor in our parenting, definitely. Um, but I wasn't the planner and I didn't read about parenting. I was parenting from intuition, from being parented really well, I think, by, by mom and dad. Um, but yeah, so credit has to go to the excellent parent that is Amy Thone. She was she's an excellent right. Parent. And just to clarify, when uh, I and, said you, I was meaning the you plural. When I said you parent, yes, yeah, okay. I mean, and I think that's a very important note is that um, I was listening to something the other day about how, you know, it takes a village is maybe an overused blah, blah. People are tired of hearing that, but really children are best raised yeah. in village community settings where there are more people involved. Like and I think that was a big yeah. part of what you and Amy yeah. consciously did. Yeah. Yeah. We had a lot of people around um, uh, two very good friends of ours, uh, Michaela and Sela lived with us each twice at two different, two different periods of time and were, super helpful um, with our very bizarre schedule, Amy teaching and being a casting director and being an actor and me being a carpenter and an actor. We had crazy schedules, flexible, like you said, also crazy. So attachment parenting. Um, I wish that I could reference any book that I've ever read about attachment parenting, um, but I have kind of thought about it a lot since Stella passed um, because so much of, like she never spent a night in her home that didn't include her waking up and coming into our bed or waking up and coming and getting in one of us and pulling her into her bed. And that's, that's 14 and a half years of life. She just absolutely wanted us always close. And Charlotte, um, we would put to sleep uh, every night by lying down with her um, or dancing with her in my arms or reading her stories and then putting her to sleep. Um, and often that meant, falling asleep and not waking up until the morning, but more often it meant just getting up and finishing the housework and then going to bed in our own bed. But we would um, be with them for sleep at least constantly. And when they were younger, um, that was sometimes maddening. I mean, I will be honest, there are two holes in the walls of the house still from non-sleeping nights when I was going crazy and punched the wall. I was so frustrated um, because I wanted to sleep. And I think it was Charlotte back in the day, just would not sleep through the whole night. Yeah. Sleep deprivation is and real. Leave the room. It's a real problem for parents. Yeah. I, yeah. It's definitely real. But, you know, there's also the Waldorf uh, preschool model where you were going to preschool once or twice a week with your child um, and being in the classroom with them. Um, this preschool that Charlotte went to at least, and Stella, actually, they kind of wanted parents to come hang out with them. So when they were two and three and four, we were also not just home with them. And then we would also take them to school, not just drop them off. Sometimes we'd stay. Um, so, yeah, what is attachment? I mean, parenting? I think it's great that you mm -hmm. don't actually have books to reference, because that's sort of my point, is that it felt very intuitive and organic. And I appreciate that, you know, maybe your... Um, maybe Amy was, you know, knowledgeable from a sort of theoretical standpoint and you were there with, you know, your heart and your body. And I think also the experiences that we had growing up, which were mm -hmm. akin to attachment parenting style. Um, but what I was watching as you were raising your young kids was this very, I felt intuitive, organic, but fully connected way of parenting. And that, you know, you incorporated the children into your lives. You didn't separate you yeah. know, their lives and your lives. It was sort of, we're in this together. Yeah. We're all living together. We're organizing our schedules and our needs as much as we can with everyone in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, scheduling stuff. Oh my gosh. That was all, all Amy. She was so, so on top of all the scheduling. Charlotte had a really romantic version of childhood in some ways she, you know we used to say she was born in a trunk she was backstage with Amy and I during 
I don't know how many productions. Uh, when she was six months old, she came down to Shakespeare Santa Cruz and spent the summer with us while we did shows. She was literally backstage being held by various actors. Sometimes she was back at home while we were doing shows, but for the first five years of her life, Amy and I did a lot of shows together. So then we had to be at the theater at the same time. So Charlotte was with us at the theater. Um, and then of course, if we weren't doing a show together, we were visiting the theater a lot so that the other parent could see her. Um, but she was backstage a lot, literally backstage in the dressing room. We leave her in one actor's arms, go on stage, do our scene, come back. Um, at the Seattle Repertory Theater, when we did Romeo and Juliet years ago, we made a little bed under the uh, dressing table and uh, she fell asleep. We tried to get her to sleep at 7.29 so we could all both walk on stage at 7.30 every night. It was very, it was very actor romantic for Charlotte and her attachment parents. Active romantic Stella was born, and stressful, no doubt. Super stressful, but it was exactly what we wanted. We loved it. And I'm sure we were kind of annoying to people <laughs> who, if they didn't love children or watching parents enjoy being parents, they were pretty annoyed. Sometimes I see young parents in, in restaurants now just glowing and kind of so proud of their children. And there's just a little part of me that's like, wow, was I, how knowing was I with my child, loving my child so openly. You just said something really important that you really enjoyed your children. And I think that's key. It's am yeah. amazing to me yeah, how many parents don't seem to enjoy their children. And I don't know if it's that they don't allow themselves to enjoy their children or if they really don't enjoy child energy and child curiosity and all the mess and you know chaos that comes with raising children, but I think that is a huge point you make, that your enjoyment of your children was palpable, and um, it felt like when you were with your kids, that was exactly where you wanted and needed to be, and people around you, you know, caught that bug and got into it and wanted it too. Um, curious mm. to note that in spite of that full-time, full-exposure actor childhood that Charlotte had, she has gone off to become an attorney. <laughs> well, yeah, right, right. She wants nothing to do with it. Um, yeah, well, I guess some people rebel and some people stay close. So here's the thing I was thinking about this morning. Um, We can take a break if um, you need to. No, it's fine. No, no, it's fine. Um, it's totally okay. Um, I was thinking about energy and um, I guess I could have prefaced all of this by saying I've had a, it's been a particularly sad morning. I think probably because you're watching all these kids graduate. Yeah. Um, anyway, I was thinking about energy this morning and just low energy. And I was literally walking super slowly when I went to get coffee this morning. I couldn't, I was just feeling myself walk slower and slower. And it's been a really hard time to find energy to uh, exercise for three years. And I just noticed that I have a lot less energy, just way, way less energy. Not physical energy during the day to lift a thing or, but, but like motivation energy. And, um, and I said aloud to myself, what's, what's our energy for? And I think it's just the way I'm, I'm built that my energy isn't, isn't for me so much just because maybe I don't know what to do with myself. Um, so it's easier to have energy for other people, a lot easier for me to pay attention to what somebody else is feeling and respond to that than it is to respond to how I'm feeling. It's just easier. It, um, and I think with children, I love babies. Oh my God, I'm obsessed with babies. And I've always been obsessed with babies. I, I get stopped in my track looking at babies all the time. I have an argument, not an argument, but an ongoing conversation with 
Barbie's kids, Duncan and Luna, about what's cuter, a baby or a puppy. And they're, you know, like, puppies are fucking way cuter than babies. What's cuter, a baby That's or a puppy? It's a good argument to yeah. get involved in, I'm sure. Like, oh, no, babies are way cuter. And like, no, they're not cute. <laughs> no, they look like old, old people. But they're babies and they can't do anything. And they're not soft. Um, no, although they have, they've admitted when they've seen a cute baby. But um, babies are, are really easy to pay attention to. And then, and then kids are really easy to pay attention to and give your energy to. It's, it's super, it, it just makes sense to me. It's very super easy. It's not good or bad. It's just easy. And so attachment parenting and being focused on your kids for me was easy because it's the biggest energy in the room. And it's easy for me to spend my energy on the biggest energy in the room. So yes, I love my children and yes, I wanted to be a parent, but also just I'm built to respond to whatever is in front of me more than I'm able to respond to myself. And again, I don't think that's good or bad. I just think that is what it is. I envy people who can say, I know that I don't like that, or I know that I like that. I have a really hard time knowing what I like and don't like. I know that I can respond to other people and track what they like and what they may want or don't want. And I'm really tuned into that. I'm a good salesman for that reason. I can walk into somebody's house in my construction company and very quickly understand what somebody's feeling because I pay so much attention to it. Um, anyway, it's kind of a tangent, but I was thinking about energy this morning as it relates to, I don't have much anymore because I lost or I have less. Yeah. And I think, um, you're spending a lot of time and I'm trying to focus on Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to focus on Charlotte, but there's a, a pretty big hole where some of my energies to go. And I'm like, oh, shit, maybe I don't need any energy, as much energy anymore because Stella's gone. Yeah. And know. a lot of the energy is used in contemplating her and, and, and connecting with her and recreating her or creating her. Or, I mean, I think it might be easier. For, well, of course it's easier, but when somebody is physically present in your life, the connection and the energy flow might be different because you're there with them. You give energy, you get energy back in a way that's more perceivable. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're working to maintain, create, develop, understand the relationship with your child who's no longer physically on the planet, um, that's a different kind of energy that you're maybe not used to expending and managing. That's for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm really good yeah. at stating the obvious. And, um, well, no, no, that's, 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 yeah. that's right though. Um, and I spend two days a week, um, by myself, um, in my apartment. Um, and then five days a week with, with Barbie and, uh, and the two days that I'm here are, are uh, kind of, they, they're like this, uh, um, free, free time of, of association and it, it often results in being sad because, you know, I'm not, I'm not focusing on, on Barbie and it's so much easier to be with her because then I'm focusing on somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. So. And parenting is that like, there's just such a big thing in front of you every day to focus on. It seems, it seems pretty, it seems really easy to me. I like parenting. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 my, my being around Luna and Duncan, uh, Duncan is 15 and Luna is 19, Barbie's kids, not being around Charlotte. So Charlotte and I, have, we connect all the time via text and have to stay in touch a lot because um, we're not physically present. She lives with her boyfriend. Yeah. Um, and then these two kids in the house that I see five days a week. Um, it's, so they're I right there. I think we're, we had initially planned to talk about parenting and attachment and and this incredible way that we grew up and then by extension, the even more incredible way, sorry, mom and dad, I just said that though, 
the even more incredible way that you raised your children. Um, our two parents did an incredible job, but they also, you know, worked traditional jobs. And so their ability to be with yeah. us physically was not nearly the way you were able to be physically with your children. Um, but yeah. I think we're at a place now where we're, we're talking about Stella and we're talking about grief and we're talking about what children do to us and what happens when they're, when they're taken from us. And so maybe mm -hmm. we just talk about that because that's here and that's, yeah, sure. that's, that's what's happening. And, um, you know, I think it's, I'm going to say some very, uh, obvious things. Now I'm going to make some very straight statements. And that is that, um, every parent's, you know, unimaginable experience is what you have gone through and that, um, in some way, I think, like with many things, until they're not with us, until we lose them, we don't fully appreciate them. And I don't think that was you in any way. I think your appreciation of parenting and of your children was inspirational, inspirational and palpable. And that was, again, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you come on and talk about your parenting experience is because you clearly enjoyed your children from the word go. Um, and I think that, you know, I've wondered whether that makes it at all, whether that has made it easier or harder for you in your relationship with Stella now that she's not physically here. And I almost think that that's made it harder because she was such an intricate part of your physical and emotional being while she was here. I think parents who aren't as connected to their children may have a different kind of regret or longing or sense of loss when they lose a child. But I think what you're describing now with the energy piece is that like your energy is literally changed because while she was on the planet, while she was in your physical life, the energy reciprocation was constant and daily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for those who can't imagine what it's like, your life since she has passed has been contemplative, has been thoughtful, has been focused on really trying to understand what this means and how you go forward. And you've dedicated time and creative energy to understanding what death means and how it affects us. And you've written prolifically and beautifully, and I'm going to encourage everybody to read your blogs and read whatever you have available. And I know now there's also some audio stuff, which is great. Um, but with these two plus years now of processing, are there a few things that you can distill down and share with people? Um, sort of the most prominent thoughts that are reoccurring about what it meant to parent Stella mm -hmm. or what it means now for you to try and understand mm. life mm. wow um well i think you know charlotte was our first and uh and um the relationship that we have going forward um is i'm, I'm so excited to watch her grow up and uh and I'm just envious of her incredible intelligence and, and grit and, and uh, drive. She's so, she's so good. Um, she's got such a great partner right now too. And, and we so love proud Frank. of her and getting to watch her. Huh? We love Say Frank. Him. We love we her love boyfriend. Frank. Yeah. She shows a good day. Good day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, I'm so glad I get to watch her just do life. She's so good at it. She's really good at life. Um, and her, her, her ability to grieve has been fascinating. Um, I'm getting there. I'm, I'm going to get to your question. Um, but her, her ability to, uh, to manage her grief and know herself through grief has been actually really 
helpful from, from the last days of Stella's life, how she handled what she could handle and being clear about it was really a lesson to me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure glad I get to be with her. Um, Stella was a, a kind of my mini me. She was, she and I were very alike. Um, we were, uh, cellularly, cellularly, cellularly connected, um, in a, in a way. Um, we just, we were just alike. She was, a little, like I always knew what she was thinking. Um, and we had a similar energy. Um, Yeah, I did love my daughter while she was alive, and, and but still, when, when you lose anybody, um, you think of all the things you didn't do better, and there's so many things I wish I had done better. I wish I had paid attention every second to her, and never gotten frustrated with her, and listened to her, and believed her, and in all moments... Um, and, you know, unfortunately, that's a big part of the grief process for me. And I think for other people is getting, trying to get through that stuff and not live with that as the main, you know, that can really eat up a lot of time. Um, I mean, the lesson from it, of course, is, hey, everybody who doesn't worry about their child dying today, you know, life is short and any second something can happen. Um, so, you know, ask yourself if you're behaving the way you want to with your children, because, uh, you know, certainly from this point of view, yeah. And I can say, I wish, that you know, I wish a lot of things. Yeah. And grief does a number on our brains. And, you know, as your older sister and as everyone watching would agree, I am sure of this. As I started this podcast, you were an exemplary parent to her. And you gave more time and energy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are human in the end. Yeah, we right? played a lot we of Polly Pockets. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I just, I'm just, I'm just answering the question like, you know, what, what are the things? And that's certainly something um, that you're right. It's our brain does tricks on us and, and it's not, it's not super helpful except that I get to say it to somebody who hasn't lost a child and maybe it carries some weight, you know, make sure you pay attention. Um, um, but you know, I think everybody who's has a child who goes off to college has a has an inkling of what it's like to to have somebody not in the house anymore. I think the empty nest syndrome is a, a, absolutely a real thing because that energy leaves the house. That person's gone, and that's a big, big shift. So that you know, there is a bit of the information in that when that happens. Um, uh, I mean, why, why, why are we here? That's really the only question anybody's asking every day in various ways. What are we doing here? What's my purpose? Um, and unfortunately, I'm, I've learned things that I wouldn't have learned if Stella hadn't passed. I mean, I've examined my life and everybody around me in much, much more nuanced and, and depth of feeling than I would have. Um, and, and it's, it's a horrible benefit. Um, you know, I'd give it all back obviously, but, um, you know, it's a, it's a big grief is a big teacher of, uh, of golly, so many things. Um, um, I, uh, 
Uh, what else have I learned? Um, you know what? It has made me just straight up more compassionate about the world around me. Everybody's got a story. Every single person you look at, some guy wrote an article, and I think it was something like the, the banana the banana stand in the grocery store or something. And he's looking at this guy over there at the banana stand and this guy who's lost a child, I think. And he's Mr. Banana over there. That's a crazy story. And he's got a lot of grief in his life. Um, and there's no doubt about it that everybody's got grief coming or has had grief and is carrying around something that we don't know. And uh, I don't know, it slowed me down a lot and given me a lot of perspective um, to just take everybody seriously in a way. You know, people behaving in strange ways are doing it for, for a reason. Absolutely. And, and uh, I remember, uh, I remember having a interaction with somebody I didn't really know very well but we both recognized each other on a street corner in like 1997, 98. I'd been in Seattle only a couple of years. I went up and I really cheerfully said, how are you? Great to see you. And he looked at me and he said, I'm dying. I have breast cancer and I'm dying. So I'm terrible. And I was so ashamed and so caught off guard and, and, Back in 1998 or 97, I didn't even have an idea of having children yet and uh, hadn't, well, Amy and I were together, but only recently. And um, No, it must have been 96 or earlier, actually. Uh, we, had, we, we didn't have the house yet. Um, but I remember thinking, what the fuck was that? Jeez. And thinking that story was strange and having no ability to really comprehend what it meant. It just, it just got in the way of my happy life. <laughs> That's what I remember. And you felt momentarily like, dumb for oh, like, yeah. for having. Yeah. Well, I felt total shame, but I didn't even understand why I felt the shame. I look back on that now and think how little I knew. I mean, I just didn't know anything. I didn't even know when smacked in the face with that, I didn't even know what to do with it. I didn't have any comprehension of what it meant to lose something because I hadn't. And he can't really be taught until something happens. There are people who are more intuitive and, and more empathetic, um, but I didn't have a clue. And I, I, I constantly remind myself of people who said, my parents, my, my dad died and saying, oh, I'm so sorry, post Stella. And being, oh, I'm so sorry. Just have, not having a clue what it meant. Just not having a clue. Yeah. I, I like that so much. And I often test myself. I often test my ability to feel compassion for people um, because I think, you know, we even talking about it now, it sounds logical, but then you go out into the world and someone makes you feel a certain way because you're not tuned into them and it backfires. I was in Whole Foods yesterday waiting at the meat counter and it was really crowded and there was one guy working and I was kind of in a rush, but I took a deep breath and I was like, I'm going to feel compassion for that guy back there, even though to me, it feels like he's using that slicer way too slow. I'm going to assume he's doing the best he can. And the mob of people standing here, I'm not going to give them all stink eye and hate them for being in front of me. I'm going to, you know, remember some stuff. And there was one woman there who just kind of rubbed me a little the wrong way because she looked very fancy and put together and she had a teenage daughter who was clearly disgruntled as having to stand there next to her mom who looked very fancy and uh, there was a sweet old lady uh, standing there with her little face mask and her sensible shoes and all her shopping bags and her aqua netted hair and when when the man in front of the old lady finished the old lady walked up to take her turn and the fancy lady came and pushed and said no 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 line cutting no line cutting and I thought she was joking at first, but she really meant to cut in front of this old lady. And then a couple people stepped in and said, no, the old lady was here first. And so the lady backed up and let her go. But my dislike for the fancy lady had already been planted. And then when I saw her kind of abuse this old lady, then I 
disliked her even more. So then I said to myself, all right, you need to find something to love about this fancy lady who just tried to take advantage of this old lady. There's something about this lady, this fancy lady that deserves love. You know, the fact that she's got to push her weight around, the fact that she's got to, you know, struggle with her teenage daughter, all of this stuff says mm -hmm. that there's something in her background that makes her the way she is, right? She didn't just get born this way. She didn't get born, you know, wanting to look fancy and not connect with her daughter and push old people around. There was something that happened to her along the way. And so I spent the next few minutes. She wouldn't want to see a video of that moment. <laughs> I spent the next few minutes trying to find bad. something to love about this person who I just kind of despised. Um, and I think that's what you're talking about, right? Is like trying to not make assumptions about people try and connect with every person on a human level that if they're doing something that's rubbing you the wrong mm -hmm. way, assume that, you know, it's them doing the best they can and they're re responding mm -hmm. to something inside of them. Um, and mm -hmm. what you're saying is that yeah. losing Stella in this physical way has given you this new appreciation of humanity and what we mean to each other and how, when we're around mm -hmm. in the same space, we should appreciate one another and take nothing for granted. Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, and also um, that, um, yeah, like you said, you don't know what's going on with somebody. Some, some, something's making them behave that way. Yeah. I mean, there are some people who are or jerks. <laughs> um, Just because they're jerks isn't don't have worth. Can we talk a little bit about, um, this is one of my big concerns, I think, when I see parents who seem to be pushing their own agendas in the name of it's what's best for my child. And, you know, my job is to steward this child through life until they can adult on their own. And one thing that I was very aware of when you were parenting your young children is you seem to have this deep this abiding respect for their agency, their individual autonomies, their little brains and personalities, even to the point of often it would inconvenience you or you would have to work a lot harder or it would make a public, you know, mess or it would, you know, whatever it was that your desire for them to be heard and seen and feel actualized. Um, was that a conscious thing on your part? And how did you get there? How did you know that often their needs came first and their understanding of what they needed was uh, relevant? Hmm. I mean, my memory is that Amy and I actually had quite a bit of friction about um, this type of this type of moment, I guess. Um, um, them choosing to do something or not, or us choosing for them. Um, I mean, I guess I guess it felt I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I feel like um, it was a pretty pretty much a give and take from them to us. Um, a lot of the time and then there were there were moments where you know Amy and I would feel like we were, we were aliens to each other in, in terms of what we wanted or what we wanted them to, to, to do or who should make the decision um, yeah the Waller School I mean you know there's this whole thing about choice and Choice isn't really a great thing for younger kids. It's hard. They need to be given the thing to do and then how they do it and how they engage with this thing is, is really what they need to be focused on. Right. If you say, what do you want to, what do you want to do today? Um, you know, that's not a Waldorf teacher's go to, right? That's the, the, the Waldorf school says, okay, 
here's this very, very structured day at school so that kids don't have to wonder what they're doing. They just get to engage how they're doing it. And I actually, I think if anything, I, I would in the argument with Amy, if, if we had it, and I'm not saying we had arguments all the time about it, but when we did, I didn't like so much giving choice in a lot of ways because it felt like um, it was just confusing. I think I buy into that pretty heavily, that kids need to be basically told what they're doing and then how they do it is is um, is where their agency should be. I 100% agree. I mean, Thanks I, I, for giving I, me the opportunity to clarify that I, because I think it's dangerous to say, do you want this, that, this, that, 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 or this? Because that is horrible for a kid. They need to feel protected, right. secure, know that the adults around them are taking care of the structure and, and managing things. Yeah. So I'm not sure what I meant with my question. Because then when they want to do something, because then when they want to do something and they really want to do something, like, yeah, cool, you really want to do that. Great. I want you to go do that. I want you to focus on that and love that. Let's do it. I will help you. Um, um, I watch, you know, like dinner table and sitting down at the dinner table. We did that as kids all the time. We sat down, we held hands, we sang grace. Our neighborhood kids came, looked through the windows and laughed at us. Every night. Or, or napkins and candles. Every night. Every night. Every night. Every night. I think that is genius parenting. I really do. I think that kind of consistency has deep impact on that person for the rest of their lives, feeling secure. And sometimes family choices seem odious to kids. And it seems that there is a modern parenting that doesn't like saying, sit down to dinner with us. I'm not hungry. That matters less than what I'm saying, which is sit down to dinner with us because this is what we're doing as a family. And maybe that's not what that family wants to do, but. Uh, okay. And that's not what we're talking about agency, but um, I don't know. It seems important. All right. I want to hit this again from a different angle. And I don't think I did that perfectly at all. I, I didn't even do that well. And I think, one thing that I wish Amy and I had done more is kind of had, I wish Amy and I had sat down and had summits more often and said, what do you, what do you think about this? Cause we always argue about this. What do you think about this? Let's talk, let's come to an agreement on how we want to do that thing. And then when we're talking about it together in front of our kids, we do it. Yeah. With more clarity. Absolutely. You can't be making decisions in the moment when there's chaos and drama. You've got to know your foundation. All right, let's back out of this because I 100% yeah. agree with what you just said. And it's something that I often say. So I think I asked the wrong question. And I'm trying to understand what it was I wanted you to really address because I have still a profound feeling that you recognized your children as, okay, here's what it is. You recognized your children as unique individuals with personalities and preferences and plans for themselves. And yes, you followed the model that I absolutely think is the number one most important or one of the most important things that we were raised with that Waldorf espouses. And that is there needs to be ritual and routine and consistency and dependability and the flow and the rhythm yeah, of the Amy day. Was better at even than me. What's that? Amy was actually more, she was better at following through with it than I was, to be honest. She was very, 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 very good about keeping ritual. Yeah. So Sorry. in that context, and we're not talking about giving lots of choice, because I agree that is, that can wreak havoc for a children, children's sort of sense of stability. And if they're having to make too many decisions and yes, I love that about Waldorf. Um, and I like how you said it. This is the thing we're doing. And within this context, do with it what you will. And let's see the creativity come out mm -hmm. within that context, which is why in Waldorf, we never draw, you know, in coloring books with the black lines and fill it in. We have 
blank pieces of paper and great big weird blocks of beeswax color that we smear on the paper and try and make things with. Um, remember when you got your first Crayola? Didn't that seem weird? What is this little stick? I'm used to drawing with great big blocks of beeswax. I can actually draw what I want. Um, so the question I think, the question is, and, and actually it's pointed because I see many parents doing this and it concerns me, is so much shutting down children's interests by saying no, 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 no. And by disciplining mm. them and by correcting them and mm. by, you know, mm. um, not even necessarily keeping them on track because there's this wonderful rhythm and flow established, but just because in the moment, this is what I want you to do and not recognizing the child's thinking or the child's input. And I'm not saying we need to debate with our children all the time that if we say, you know, this is what needs to be done now and they don't want to do it, that there's, you know, a cause or an opportunity for debate. So I guess my question coming back around to it is it felt like watching you with your children, you were deeply curious about who they were and what they thought and what they wanted. And to the best of your ability, you accommodated that within the structure that was there. So there is some subtlety. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess my question then is, was that conscious? Was that something you worked on? Did you look around you in the world and see all the other parents knowing their children to death? No, 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 do this, do that. And did you think we're doing it differently? And this is a good way to do it. I don't know. I got Maybe we got lucky, but we were raised, I mean, we raised Charlotte and Stella, Charlotte first on, on a block where we had... Um, some some really great friends and uh and you know stephanie and josh were raising garrett at the same time um, as charlotte and, and they were just they're still best 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 friends and they were literally laying together from day one as infants and i don't know we were very we were blessed to have people like them having breakfast with them almost every day and they were very similar in their curiosity with these wild things that were happening in front of us um that seemed i don't know that seemed natural and maybe that's part of the josh was a metal artist <laughs> Steffi's a massage therapist amy's an actor and a massage therapist i'm an actor and a carpenter we're alternative style people and maybe maybe we have less um um I don't know. I, the only the only thing I can say is there's there's less of a corporate atmosphere to what we need for our children to be successful because we feel successful in our weird lives already. So what do you want to be? Um, you don't have to be anything particularly uh, specific. Although Josh actually um, was aware of the effect that his father had on him, and he was a his father was um, a, a, a sculptor. And he was very hard on this on Josh, and, and Josh felt that actually at sometimes with Garrett. Yeah, I really want you to be this. Really, really, really want you to be this. Um, but I don't know. It never felt to me that Charlotte needed to be an actor. Uh, although when Stella was like, "I think I want to be an actor," of course I got really excited about it. Um, she also said, "I want to be a carpenter hmm. and a pop singer and a race car driver." Um, so if the question is, did it come naturally? Yeah, it seemed like that was the right thing to do. The curiosity was key. I mean, that's what it feels like keeps us alive is curiosity and, you know, for what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, and yeah, it was felt, felt like the right way to be. But maybe, again, because we were parented really well, maybe just that security that we got, that we got, you know, was the bed bedrock of that ability to feel safe that everything's going to be okay so really the person and who they are is um is is the only thing that matters and they're going to be great we were parented really well and we are damn lucky for sure yeah. we um yeah just safe yeah safe yeah felt safe I watch, I watch, I watch my partner Barbie parent, and she is an unbelievably good parent. Um, she is so thoughtful, 
and uh, there is a calmness about the whole household. And this is after um, um, one of one of them, one of the children was actually really uh, had a lot of outbursts when when yeah. he was young, um, and they had to deal with she and she and her ex-husband had to deal with a lot of violent things. And yet now there's this wonderful calm about it. And the calm comes from this deep respect of who they are. And, you know, Barbie and I will argue about how much leeway um, to give them, like, let's have them sit down for dinner, even though they're not hungry. Well, it's not a good idea to eat when you're not hungry. Well, let's have them sit down anyway, because then we're sitting down together. Um, She's an excellent parent, and she was... Not I was just going to say, yeah, she's the exception to the mother. rule. However, she was parented well by the man that raised her. She met Lucky and a wonderful mm-hmm. man who she called her father, who was her father, raised her by himself and excellently because um, he was a good guy. He was a good yeah. man. And he had lots of, you know, he had no skills. You know, he had no partner to help him. And he worked hard and long hours. Um, but I, but I often feel like, despite her motherless upbringing, truly motherless upbringing, um, she had that one shining example. And she's an excellent parent and a very different parent. Um, sorry. No, no, that's okay. And unfortunately, um, we have to wrap up. But I was really hoping we can do a part two. Um, so I think we will do that. Um, so that today that. is not an abrupt end, but today is just a teaser for what's to come, part two with Hans Peter mm-hmm. Altwies. Um, so before we abruptly but not abruptly end this episode, <laughs> do you have a parting thought? Well, um, another um, another thought about parenting is the the relationship of of the children. Uh, together that they that, that the relationship that the children have and and building that relationship and another way that um, our parents did a really good job is that you and I and Justin have a very good relationship and um, in my on my saddest saddest days I'm so grateful when I when I imagine what I have underneath me um, and and realize that one of the strongest parts of my uh, life is my siblings and my relationship with them. Absolutely. I'm very, very grateful. I'm going to start crying because that is truly, that is it. And, and I think that was fostered by our parents, maybe consciously and somewhat not consciously when we were often left alone together while they were working. Um, But however it came about having siblings and having a relationship with your siblings, especially as you get older and whether life and parenting and adulting, and you can um, share this really important part of life, which is childhood, um, and how much it mm-hmm. impacts us to know that there are other people who know exactly what you went through. Um, it's really mm-hmm. important. Okay. So yeah, um, I, I, I know I, I long for Charlotte to have that. I wish she had that, and I, I'm aware of it. I'm aware of it. I think it's one of the reasons she wants to be so close to your children, and because um, she wants that. She's like, okay, I don't have Stella. I need family, family. I need that family. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. Well, to be continued, which I've never said before on a podcast episode, and I know that everyone listening will be tuning in for part two with Hans Peter Altwies, my baby brother, actor, carpenter, all around great guy. Okay. I will talk to you soon. I love you. Thank you for doing this. Okay. episode of a really good enough parent podcast if you enjoyed this episode i'd love it if you'd leave me a rating or subscribe subscribing helps boost my ratings and rating me obviously helps boost my ratings but only if you liked what you heard 
But apropos that, whether or not you do or don't like this, I really do like feedback. So please drop me a line if you'd like. Let me know if there's someone you want me to interview or a certain topic you'd like me to tackle. You can find out more about a really good enough parent podcast on the Pono Roots website at ponoroots.org. That's P-O-N-O-R-O-O-T-S dot org. Pono Roots is a nonprofit program, and if you wish to support our work, donations are always welcome. And with that, I'll leave you a quote from Carl Jung and something that my children remind me of every day. You are what you do, not what you say you'll do. Thank you. Take care. Aloha. George loves Detroit.